Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 496 on Tuesday, the 18th of October, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we're shocked at the implications of news for the British car industry. We note that promising something that doesn't actually exist does have consequences. And in these interesting times, we pause for a moment with some stunning art. But first, we have a touch of follow-up once again. And this is the really seriously ungood news that British Vault is seeking 200 million emergency funding, which goes from anything up to minority stakes to complete new ownership in what they're hoping to get from anyone, please. Yes. All sorts like Inabat is one of the companies that's mentioned, which is a Slovakian battery company. Mm-hmm. They're looking at complete buyout. Loads of other bits and pieces in there. It's thought that some of this problem was caused by its recent, uh, I noticed a commentary during the week, some of these problems were caused maybe by their recent massive hiring splurge. Yeah, they've got 300 members of staff and that costs them $3 million a month. Ouch. And here's the kicker. They are not expecting any revenue until at least 2025. And yet Uber <laughs> and others, you know, you know, some of the some of the tech companies which don't necessarily produce anything physical or or anything like that, um, then they can they can find that kind of money anywhere. Yeah, and I always think that that's a bit that's really sad. Yeah, and by the way, this two hundred million that they want that's only to survive to next summer. Mm-hmm. So then there'll be another host of mm. there's supposed to be something in the region of seven potential strategic partners is how it's quoted as uh, i just don't think this is very good i don't either and i really want to be wrong about that mm. there is only one battery factory that is actually planned where it's lined up with someone and that's the envisage aesc's plant Next to the Nissan Sunderland factory. That's the only one this country's got yes. that seems to be likely to happen. So you've still got the Coventry pie in the sky one. Yeah. Even though they've appointed someone as CEO or something. That one was far less likely than British yeah. Vault. This has huge, massive implications for this country's car industry as well, though, because of rules of origin when mm. it comes to uh, selling or yeah, selling the cars into Europe. It's not yep. uh, exporting, it's selling them. If you sell them into Europe, then yeah. the fact that we will be getting our batteries from China to build into a car over here puts mm. however many layers of extra mm-hmm. cost on top of whatever is sold. Yeah, just think if we were part of some form of customs union and agreement, then that sort of thing wouldn't be an issue. Yep. What do we know? That ship has very much sailed and sunk. <laughs> Take us to Fantasyland and electric lorries. Yes, uh, speaking of sailing and sinking, uh, we're all familiar with Tesla and its semi, Elon Musk's semi. Uh, There was another competing large truck manufacturer. I've got to be careful with the word truck because that means everything from a pickup over here. So there was another large truck, uh, electric HGV competitor coming along, which seemed to be far, far more likely to actually happen. I mean there were there were videos of it driving under its under its own power and all sorts of things. Well it turned out that those actually weren't videos of the Nikola N-I-K-O-L-A truck uh, driving under its own power. It had been pulled to the top of a hill and was rolling down uh, the hill. Not 
as they said, uh, cruising on a road at a high rate of speed. Yes, Nicola, uh, for that and and other bad moves, paid $125 million to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Because as we know, they have a serious lack of sense of humor when it comes to fibs and money. Absolutely zero sense of humor. They aren't. They're just not people. Humor is not part of their lexicon. But this story really is all about Trevor Milton, the founder and former executive chairman. And he's been found guilty on three counts of fraud for misleading uh, the EV company's investors about both its business and its technology. Sentencing has been scheduled for January 27th next year. And he faces up to 20 years in prison. Oh, it's worth mentioning he was acquitted on one charge of securities fraud. There we go then. He was still guilty of one count of securities fraud and two counts of wire fraud, though, yeah. uh, for basically taking the money and not delivering. Mm. Makes you wonder about others, doesn't it? Makes you wonder about others. Anyway, I'm going to take us to Oxford because I seem to be the one giving all the really happy, cheerful news this week for British motor industry. Well, you did the story <laughs> allocation, so you've got nobody else to blame but yourself. I know, but I only saw this after I'd done all this and sort of went, oh, yeah, okay, that's not good. And this is the news that Mini's electric production or the electric Mini production is being moved out of Britain and off to China to be built by the joint venture partners out there for BMW. Hmm. Mini will get, though, in the next generation stroke, last generation internal combustion engine Mini, it will get the three and five door Coopers the, and the convertible from the Dutch production facility mm-hmm. when it moves to the next version that it that it is. I presume that must be in the next couple of years or so because 2030, 35 is hurtling towards us yes i would imagine so Uh, one of the reasons that many are giving is that it's not efficient for them to be building internal combustion and electric vehicles on the same line the head of mark stephanie wurst said that oxford will always be the home for mini but the facility needed renovation and investment well it's only been yours for what a decade and a half bmw yeah longer 20 we'll see what happens i mean it is a very old factory and obviously it will need altering and it will need renovation. Oh, it will. But yes. if we tie in with our follow-up, where are they going to get the batteries from? Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Unless they ship their own batteries from Europe across. But then is there not an is there not a penalty to bring them into this country? No, no, no. You can bring anything into this country. You just can't export it from this country because... Um, no, but don't we have because, the penalty? Because exporting is... As this co- no, I'm not talking about Europe, but we would have the penalty of bringing something in here? Uh, they've kind of lessened all of that because they've quietly realised that was completely unworkable. Okay. And we'd have no... F- and in the UK, there'd be no food, no... T- know anything if they did all of that. Okay. Let's cheer ourselves up and go to Russia, hey? <laughs> it's a roller coaster of delight. Yes, in Russia, Nissan has sold its entire Russian business for one euro to the Russian the state-owned NAMI, N-A-M-I Corporation. If you've heard of them before, they make the Aorus Senat and various other military vehicles in Russia. Uh, And they now own a fully operational Nissan factory in St. Petersburg and a sales and marketing operation in Moscow. Nissan are having to write down 100 billion yen for this. Yes, $687 million, according to this Ford story. That's a slightly spicy one just there. Don't forget, Renault sold out of Autovaz in May 
for one single ruble, which is about two cents or, or two two euro cents. Um, so you know they got more for all of that than uh, Renault got for its <laughs> Autovaz share. So there's something to to lord over their alliance partner. <laughs> Just there, so. Look, we did better than you. Yeah, it is grim. Uh, and as Nissan say, they can't see the situation changing there anytime soon. No, nobody can see that changing anytime soon. Sadly. Anyway, Andrew, good news, though. In the West Midlands, a new partnership promises smoother journeys for road users. Yes, Transport for West Midlands and Waze have joined together to apparently give the people in the area smoother journeys with better route guidance and the hope or the suggestion is that by sharing real-time comprehensive traffic data and allowing more intelligent rerouting mm-hmm. they'll also better anticipate hotspots and incidents being managed more effectively that's planned as well as unplanned incidents it does look like reading through this article that's linked to from autocar that they used this or they did a test with this when it came to the commonwealth games they could get ways to give them actual real-time data and from the real-time data that ways provided they were able to look ahead and better manage the flow of traffic it's a bit like and i don't mean to trigger anybody listening but it's a bit like what the smart motorways technical side of things is meant to do it's meant to anticipate traffic and control traffic from huge distances away so that the snarl 30, 40, 50 miles down the road doesn't happen because all these cars don't suddenly hurtle in at 70 mile an hour. The reality is not always that. What West Midlands, uh, traffic for West Midlands are talking about is saying that they have comprehensive CCTV and monitoring and bus-mounted CCTVs and this sort of stuff, but they do have blind spots in their coverage. What they feel will happen is that Waze is going to fill these gaps. Whether it does in reality, I'm not so sure because it really does depend on how many people use Waze in the area. It also depends on how much information those using Waze provide ways because you can you can put in stuff and say a vehicle's broken down and stuff like that considering we're not supposed to be prodding our mobile devices how much live info we can give they can read when traffic is slowed down if there is enough people using ways obviously so this is a bit i'm curious as to how deep the partnership goes because it looks like on the surface that Waze is providing all this information for free. And then on the back of that, that Waze is getting the live data back from West Midlands Transport, but also in helping to, instead of taking everyone down every single rat run, is to funnel them in certain areas. And always makes my eye twitch a little bit when I hear things like that. But it's how deep and how integrated this connection is, because we've seen from many big public sector contracts with big tech, Mm. the fine print has not always been read. Yes, a big tech has more expensive lawyers. Yes. The flip side of that, Andrew, is that sometimes, if you remember, there's that excellent book by the chap who was the the head of traffic management for New York, the name of which escapes me right now. 
And it was saying that the thing is that sometimes if you close roads and stuff, then the traffic just kind of disappears and dissipates itself. You know, after the first couple of days, mm. then it, it just sorts itself out. And I think that this is a way of accelerating that first couple of days so that and just helping it. If Wade's just saying, well, we're sending a certain proportion down there, let's send another proportion down another route. Yeah. To try and sort of lessen everybody being diverted the, the same kind of way. And also by being able to plan in advance, then that helps too. Yeah. It, it On paper, it sounds a really good idea. And it is part of the glorious future smart cities are promising us. Yeah. But it's the reality and the execution of this that is always the key to it. And like I say, it's how integrated they are and how much information is going from whom to whom that I think is really key to this. Yes, I, the, the smartness of smart cities always worries me. Yeah. If they are going to be smart in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, take us to France, where they aren't really traveling too much. <laughs> They're not really traveling too much. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of problems in France at the minute around fuel supply. And the reason there's a fuel supply is because there are a lot of strikes. And there are a lot of strikes in fuel workers and oil workers. And the root cause of this is the strikes in turn then mean that fuel can't get to petrol stations. So that's basically what it boils down to. Mm. It's not that the fuel doesn't exist. It's just it can't get out of some of the facilities. And that, of course, is causing all sorts of problems. The root cause of this is that the sort of French national, although, of course, it's not national, it's completely public, yeah. <laughs> oil company Total, obviously made record profits over the last little while. And whilst there's a cost of living crisis, then the board granted the chief executive a something, was it something like a 56% pay rise? Something sharp. And something ridiculous. So he's making, you know, over a million euros a month type thing. It's ridiculous. I might per month, the rest of the place who we were told, oh, no, no, we don't have the money for pay rises. Bit knocked by that. Uh, so they're asking for, was it inflation plus 4% or something? So they're all on strike. But added to all this is that the French government are ordering some workers back to their jobs, even though they're on a legal strike, <laughs> which seems quite extreme. No, what they're saying is, is, hang on a minute. You actually, some of you, not all of you, but some of you, your roles are vital for the security and the operation of the country. Therefore, no, you cannot strike at this time. That's what they've, they've done and said. They've had a little bit of reclassification of roles because they've looked and gone, hang on a minute, the country's not working. Um, we need the country to keep working. So they've looked at some of these roles and said, actually, you know, you guys, sorry, but necessary for the for the successful functioning of, of the country even at a very low level so some of you do need to go back to work and you're not allowed to strike anymore but that's not everyone by the way that's not a blanket none of you must do it it's no, no, it's no. enough to keep stuff ticking over it's a tough one because that is like the hardest can you imagine you know that that is not a very popular move i understand why it's been made it's not a very popular yeah, yeah, move and yeah. it is something that you do in extremis and this has been deemed as being sort of extremist, really. I'm going to talk about hydrogen refueling stations. And this one had slipped us by back in July when it occurred. But uh, Motive has closed the Cobham, Gatwick and Swindon hydrogen refueling 
stations. Swindon had been shut. Uh, sorry, Cobham had been closed in February, mm-hmm. but Gatwick and Swindon were shut on the 31st of July this year. Why that's a bit of an issue is one, if you look on Google Maps, they're still there, apparently, and labelled as such. Mm. But also, mm-hmm. there is. I am now con- a little bit concerned about what this means for the wider adoption of hydrogen as an option, particularly for testing as it is at the minute. I'm not though. Where are they going to? Where are they? Because they're, what they're doing is that these were too small. Basically, is what they're saying. Motive are saying these were too small. We couldn't do large vehicles, and we don't have the room as the technology improves to expand and adapt things. So that's understandable. Did, did you ever visit any of them, Andrew? No, never managed to get down there. Okay, I did. The challenge was that they were on the car side of four courts. Oh, okay, that was really what the the issue here was. They were on the car side of four courts. And they were, I don't want to make this sound bad because it's not, it's a good thing. They were under the canopy, so to speak. They were alongside LPG at the sort of extremist. All right. So you couldn't get a lorry in. The trouble was you can't get a lorry in. And we all know, I think it's, I think it's pretty well recognized now. Hydrogen seems to be working towards fleets and particularly larger goods vehicles. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Mirai as well. And Nexo, uh, we, we totally get that. But the majority of hydrogen vehicles and hydrogen testing now seems to be moving towards that. You can't get trucks anywhere near these. That's why they're doing it. So if you scroll down through the press release a bit, with Motive closing down the sites, does this mean the Motive is exiting the marketplace? They're saying, no, it's the reverse. They're focusing on large vehicle refueling, and the closure of these sites is a reflection of their small footprints from them being the first of a kind and prototypes, which we've learned from allowing us to improve our future networks. I'm sure there are other bits and pieces. I'm sure one of the major users at Cobham, for example, was uh, was Hyundai, because that's what I visited it with. And of course, their quarters was just up the road from Cobham Services and now isn't, mm. which probably isn't helping. But uh, I'm sure the closure of the Gatwick one's a bit of a pain in the bottom for others as well. Yeah. Well, sticking with hydrogen, do you want to take us to a potentially interesting bit of news? Well, yes, it is from interestingengineering.com. And that is that scientists have in Australia have managed to retrofit diesel engines to use hydrogen as a fuel. Uh, And it says increasing efficiency by 26%, although it doesn't tell me what type of efficiency. Obviously, when I've I've just been talking about uh, heavy goods vehicles and large trucks and and things like that, then you can see that there might be a certain attractiveness in being able to, to keep running the internal combustion engine, the originally diesel internal combustion engine, but running it on hydrogen instead maybe it'd be possible to retrofit existing vehicles, for example. This team at the University of South Wales spent 18 months developing a system that it says it's a dual fuel injection system. Now, I've read through this article and I've read through all the notes at the bottom of the article and I still don't completely follow it when it says it uses 90% hydrogen as fuel. What I can't work out is whether that's 90% hydrogen, 10% diesel, or if that is gas, that is 90% hydrogen. Hmm. I'm not quite certain on that. The important two takeaways from this article, though, are that it is retrofitting insisting diesel engines, you know, running a diesel engine on hydrogen, and that the hydrogen does not have to be of the highest purity. Yeah. Also, that they managed to cut out high nitrogen oxide emissions. Yeah, I was just coming to that as well. 
but the other the, the the high hydrogen purity thing is is good because that means you don't have to expend as much energy in refining the hydrogen as well. Mm. I'm not sure if that's where the part of the efficiency win comes from is the fact that you're not having to seek out just hydrogen from yeah. any of the gases uh, that you're using. You you can go ninety percent, ninety five percent pure hydrogen. Uh, rather than having to be 98, 99, because, you know, getting those last few percents is going to be the hardest work. Yeah. going to be interesting to see what the, I presume the next stage is to actually fit it to a running vehicle and see how it does, because this is obviously test bed with the engine itself. What's what's interesting about this article is that there is an abstract at the bottom and it does tell you what the testing parameters were mm. very clearly. Uh, so, you know, it was operating at a constant speed of 2,000 revs per minute with a fixed combustion phase in minus 10 crank angle degrees before top dead center and evaluated. So there's a whole load at the bottom. If you want to know the actual details of the test, there's there's an abstract from the paper and, and a link to the a link to the paper on the International Journal of Hydrogen Energy as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, casual gaming, Andrew. Yes, yes something slightly less serious. And the news that BMW is going to allow casual gaming... Uh, first of all, in uh, only one of their vehicles, the iX7, I believe it is, that will mean that whilst you're charging, you've got something to do that isn't going on a Teams call or checking your email or other applications that will increase your productivity and other things we've been sold so far. <laughs> it's actually the new 7 Series, not the iX7 yet. Oh, 7 Series, sorry. But it's uh, because it's the only one of the existing generation of mahoosive screen cars that basically has enough hardware built in to run a gaming platform. They've teamed up with a company called Air Console, and they uh, have a stable of games that are almost but not quite like the famous names and games you will recognize like Mario Kart. <laughs> so the linked article is to The Verge, and I love where it says, you know, the head title is BMW uses QR codes in your phone to control casual games in its big in-car screen. And then the subtitle is play games like Mega Monster Party and other titles you probably haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I'm not... Well, I'm not surprised... But obviously they're sticking it in the new 7 Series purely because that's the first one that's got the tech and capability. But the um, the number of people who own a 7 Series that will use any of that? I think it's just because that's the one that's got it. I mean, I, know, I, I, I think know. Yeah, obviously it's going to filter down, Andrew. And it's, yep. you know what? Why the heck not? Yeah, because I'm... I'm Presuming that it is impossible to switch this on while you're driving, of course, that side of things won't be a worry. And mm. obviously, when you put it in an EV, then it allows somebody to do something whilst the thing is charging, which is the main aim of all this. And the hardware is going to be there anyway. Yep. You know, so... Pff, I mean, no, obviously, obviously the BMW will probably charge you a small fee for it, but you don't have to pay the small fee. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many people do this sort of stuff over what their phone can already do, particularly if you're parked up. So yes, a couple of changes at Porsche as well. That's next uh, next up. They've announced a change of leadership for the 911 and a 718 series cars with uh, a chap called Frank Moser is taking over all the responsibility for the development, essentially the product management of that. And he's taking over from Frank Stefan Valliser. Moser... Uh, joined Porsche in 1996, worked on road car development for 16 years, 
moved into production and was head of quality at, at the Zuffenhausen uh, factory, the main Porsche factory, just outside Stuttgart in 2013. He also oversaw all of the corporate quality. He intends to keep on going as it's going as it's going, really, an electric version of the 718 on the way. And he's very familiar with the cars. It's, it's commented elsewhere in this article that he's familiar with them anyway, because he had to sign them off from a quality point of view in the in the past anyhow. Yeah. So really, it's just adding to that rather than anything else. He he was a he, he signed off a mm-hmm. on the 718 and uh, 911. It's a small change at Porsche anyway. Yeah. But Andrew, something about delays to the e-Macan. Yeah. So this is uh, Porsche's EV Macan, and that won't be out until at least 2024 because software issues from VW. Ah, I wonder if this means the new CEO goes, because the last one went because of software issues. <laughs> I think this will probably be deemed as a legacy software issues. Yes, it, it definitely is. Uh, and thanks to Nick Gibbs for being so detailed in his Autocar article, because I was curious as to why this news story came out a week and a bit after the Porsche shares floated. Mm. But it was actually all in the uh, prospectus. They talked about how the, there was this delay because of the... 1.2 version software from Cariad, which is VW's software group. And th- this was likely to affect their BEV models for the 718 and the KN. They weren't giving any launch timetables for those in the prospectus. Mm-hmm. There is the 2.0 software coming along, but Porsche has said, and they mentioned this in their prospectus again, that they may go down their own way with software and because they really they've made it very clear in the past they don't want to be tied to VW's software platform and the constraints that brings but the decision on which sort of software they're going to go with won't be made till next year uh, i presume they'll need uh, various people in charge for long enough to or or there'll need to be enough arm twisting to have happened in the background now there's a new ceo of the VW group yes but yeah again VW group finds software's hard it is and that brings us, thankfully, to the end of the rather depressing first part. <sighs> Sorry, so everyone, it was a bit So grim. many stories, <laughs> so little happiness. <laughs> but yes, it's Guilt Minute, quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our Spring Store. From stickers to mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, beer glasses. Gosh, it's been a while since I've used the beer glass. In the beer glass, yeah. Well, definitely not for recording. <laughs> I miss drinking beer during. I miss drinking beer during during podcast recordings. Yes, so there is a fine range of those, and they. I, I'm going to say that, and of course, they're all fantastic quality. They are. They're all really good quality stuff. If you don't have any spare cash, however, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you so very, very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone who does. Much appreciated. And of course, you might have friends and colleagues. Yes. You might be very fortunate. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, do you want to take us to Sony and Honda, please, Alan, in sort of new, new car newsy Sort news. of new, new car newsy. There's not a lot of new, new car news because everything's really for Paris, which isn't really sort of slightly being announced sort of everywhere, but not uh, at all yeah. at the same time, which is very strange. But following on from the software is hard story uh, before Guilt Minute, Sony and Honda are joining up, aiming to deliver a joint venture electric vehicle by 2026 and selling them online uh, starting uh, here in the US and in Japan. Uh, they say the new EV will be priced at a premium, which won't come as a surprise to anyone who's looked at the prices of the Honda E. Uh, and it will offer a new software system developed by Sony. Open the way to, brace yourself, Andrew, recurring revenue from entertainment and other services that will be billed monthly, the company said. So do you think this is a case of you get the car pretty much for free uh, and it comes... Basically, the car comes bundled with, I don't know, Disney Plus or Sony no, Entertainment. No, whatever. I think it's going to be it's going to be far worse than that. I don't get it. I think it's going to be massively expensive, and then they're going to chuck really expensive stuff on top of it. Yeah. Key details, including pricing, battery range, and even platform for the new vehicle have not been determined, but representatives of the new company detailed a vision for a vehicle that would function almost like a rolling smartphone. Oh, God, oldest trope in the book 2026 four years don't even know what the platform's going to be yeah do we think it's going to happen uh i'm not sure because there's there's lots of talk yeah because when we talked about this a while ago when it was first mentioned and we went that's odd it's still odd at the time and it's still very odd talk about sony and software we have to remember they are paragons of virtue when it comes to security of their software never have any problems with people being able to easily get into it at all new no. so mm. that worries me for starters i don't know why they're partnering up i really can't see why they're partnering up with sony coming into a totally new market for them but i think part of it is that traditionally honda has been an engine company and building in internal combustion engines and just happening to build cars around them and that now that they're having the engine that's taken away with evs i think they're a little bit lost mm. in fact i think they're quite a, i think the i think honda cars is quite lost it has been for many years for many years so since the death of honda san really it just seems to have been floating and and really yes really quite lost lots of vehicles which are just odd i mean but, but not unnice i was in an acura mdx uh, the other week it belongs to my aunt and uncle a really nice car do you know what they had to complain about most the only thing they didn't like about it no. the software Mm. Even just entering addresses in the sat-nav system was just too hard because it wasn't a touchscreen and you had to write the letters on the top of the, on a little touchpad and stuff. It was just oh. a horrible UI. Horrible. Ouch. And so, you know, well, maybe teaming up with Sony for the software is a good idea. Mm. But just generally, I found Honda strangely lost. I wait to be convinced. I, yeah, same, just same this here. seems like an odd, desperate move of, mm -hmm. like you say, a company that's lost and is trying to do something mm -hmm. right i'm going to take us to ineos anyway yes there's a kind of strange i don't know i've seen two different stories well no the first headlines that i saw were around the fact that the grenadier was being delayed until next year and, and customer deliveries wouldn't start until december mm -hmm. and i thought oh that's another delay oh that's terrible and then i read and then i started reading some of the some of the articles on it and really they're talking about a four-month delay over what they originally said which isn't bad really, for the grenadier considering, so I, I, well considering that's, that's exactly problems. where i'm going yeah and it's like 
given the state of the world, the <laughs> the general breakdown of global logistics, all these things that have happened since Ineos started, I actually think a four-month delay, that's nothing in the development no. of a whole new vehicle. That's really impressive. And not only that, I also saw the Guardian. This is Alan almost defending the... I mean, let's be clear, for the sake of balance, I think it is a horrible, terrible vanity project. But what I will say is it seems to be an incredibly well-executed vanity project from the point of view of production, of bringing it to production. Mm. But there's there's all sorts of stuff, and there's an article in the in the Guardian saying that well, it's a losses of five hundred and six million. It's received a loan of nine hundred, yeah, you know, and it's coming in at getting on for two billion euros, and this is terrible. And it's like to build a whole new vehicle from scratch, testing the. I'm sure there's some deal with the the, the deal with Mercedes and the 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 Hamburg factory and stuff is in there somewhere. But to come in at under two billion for a whole brand new vehicle and production facility that's really not bad at all mm. it i mean it's also, it's, also, it's also a horrific waste of money and I, I don't understand how you would why you would ever choose to start an uh, any kind of car manufacturer on, on your own from scratch other than you've got lots of money and it's a big vanity project and two fingers to jlr but i'm surprised at how low that is i'm surprised at how on budget that is i'm finding it very hard to be captain negative about some of these things and to join in with some of the some of the pooping outside of all the stuff we've already been negative about <laughs> outside of any of the stuff i'm actually very impressed yeah as you say the execution is very impressive how they've got there not perhaps the nicest way i still, I still think it's a dumb thing to do but if they must do this damn silly thing they're doing it in a in a reasonable manner mm-hmm. and the next question is how many people are going to buy them ah, about three yeah anyway take us to the lunchtime read because it's at least something better than all that <laughs> well yeah i like this one uh this so this one's from design field trip by christopher butt and it's talking about how only one car maker is really exploiting the current retro future pop culture trend which we're seeing everywhere in films such as ready player one we see on tv with stranger things where it's the past but with a sort of modern twist to it and loads of other other places, comics, all sorts of stuff. And how it's saying that, that Hyundai really is the only manufacturer who is exploiting this well. And it's I don't want to go into this in too much detail because I want you to go and follow the link in the show notes to design field trip and to read it because it's really good and really interesting and it's it's kind of cool. I like it and agree with it. There is a part one as well at the top of the article for you to catch up on. Uh, yes, to- this is really the second part uh, of, of yeah. the article that, that's linked, but uh, and it's a little bit more specific. Yeah. Design field trip, excellent articles. Yeah, good, good reading there. Really good reading. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm going to take us to the list of the week. Mm-hmm. 39 longest running cars and trucks. Welcome to quite the list it is quite the list the one thing that's worth mentioning about the list is it's not about a specific model it's off it's a gen tends to be about a specific badge name yes there are iterations in its life (laughs) yes well not always some of them are some of (laughs) there are a few where it's just been the same thing um (laughs) for a long long time and you could argue that the volkswagen golf fits into that there are many on this list it's by john redfern it's from motoring research Andrew, 
you got a specific uh, uh, a favorite um a favorite it's a hard list to, it's a hard list to choose a favorite from and it's not really very fair is it it's so many of the ones we know and love because otherwise they wouldn't still be mm-hmm. used as a badge name and yeah. they're various some of them's various iterations as well um i think i will plump for the jaguar xj series okay that's that a ran f- for 51 years apparently and I still am gutted that I never, I have never driven the latest version because I still think that looks wonderful. Oh, don't yeah. don't remind me. XGRL with that nice Alcantara. Yeah, river. yeah, yeah. Love You're about it. to tell me about fantastic. the lovely feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, really yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really nice. Git. Anything for you? I'm going to choose a Nissan Skyline because it feels like the current generation of GTR has been around for 65 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was quite curious, actually, when I, I flicked through this and trying to work out how many of these I, I'd actually owned. I think I made it to two. <laughs> <laughs> the Citroen 2CV and uh, my Infiniti G37 was basically just a rebadged Skyline. Mm. I've driven more of them, but th- those are the two that I've owned. Cool. Right, do you want to take us to the end, finally, in a bit of, bit of calm for us now? It, yes, it, it is. This is a classic and sports car. And it's the art of Kieran Gabriel, which is, this was a great thing to choose for an audio-only format, really. (laughs) You do need to click the link. You need to click the link. It's really lovely. And as you say, very calming. It's very British views, cars in particular places and compositions. Kind of in the style, as it says, he's been inspired by Edward Hopper, American realist painter, who painted New York in the 1930s. And these are, they're slightly nostalgic. They're a celebration of, I was going to say they're a celebration of British. If you saw the pictures, you would know that it was Britain. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not a thatched cottage in sight. Yes, they're really cool. Do please click through. He has uh, prints for sale as well as a, a, an A4 book. I might find myself clicking and, and having a look at that print store because I it is really, lovely. these are exactly the kind of stuff that, that I that I really like. They don't all have cars in, by the way, just some of the ones in that article in Classic and Sports Car do. But just clicking at the print store here, there's, there's yeah, there's, there's, yes, yes. This is my thing. This is, this is nice. This is the kind of stuff I like. So I'm going to be having a, an explorer of this. Mm-hmm. Love that. Sorry. I'm going to people recording a podcast, not buying prints for my very bare walls, haven't I? <laughs> uh, so despite the best efforts of my computer, I'm, I'm recording a podcast. Um, last but not least, Parish Notes. Yes. Parish Notes this week. We have changed to a new provider. Bit of back-end stuff. Uh, we're now using Captivate. Uh, we, we've sort of run a sort of semi-DIY setup for the last 497 episodes. So we're moving over to a dedicated podcast host for actually holding the audio and counting the number of you that listen to the audio and all sorts of fun shizzle like that. Yep. It seems to have worked. If you're listening to this, it's working. Yes. and uh, <laughs> there should be no difference for any of you now some of you do run don't run a, a podcast service you do run the rss feeds directly into your podcast players it should change automatically you're the only people who might have to do something it should change automatically there's a 301 redirect and other technical stuff in place 
but if mm. you want to just make sure then you can uh then the link that contains our rss feed that's at the top of the podcast news show page uh, has been updated with the new thread if you want to do that you can do that if you are already listening you shouldn't need to because it should all be working yes but nobody complained about anything over the weekend which is freaking me out yes, it was disturbingly smooth yes i, I before going to the pub at the end of the day and on friday i sort of had a little poke and thought mm, i wonder if how easy this is going to be i'll just have a look and psych myself up for doing it first thing tomorrow morning oh is that it oh <laughs> oh i've done it okay um and then everything kept working whereas when we've had to do that in the past to try and count stats and stuff i accidentally broke it before beetling off to paris for a weekend and um <laughs> Was trying to use the free Wi-Fi in the uh, in the ladies' shoe department of Gallery Lafayette while, while I was I was there with my mum and my sister who were doing the shoe shopping, and uh, uh, whilst trying to sort out what had happened to the RSS feed on my phone, that was tricky. That didn't happen this time, thank goodness. No, we've learned our lessons. Lessons have been learned. To, et cetera, to give you an idea of how scared I was of this, that was episode six when I made that mess up. Okay. <laughs> We, yes, we have held off for quite a while <laughs> because that was so horrible and before most of you listened uh, so uh, so it seems to have gone well thank you captivate for making it very very easy yep anyway uh end of the show coming up because it's time for me to remind you that between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And a lot of people would like to get in touch with you personally and say what a fabulous job you did of flicking three or four switches to move us over on the RSS feed. What's the best way for them to do that personally? You can congratulate me on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As I say, we'll be back soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.